0: job, Susie. I didn't know if you could, you know, this pulpit's too high. This pulpit's too high. You good? All right, you good. She's good. We good. Thanks, Susie. You're awesome. Um, well, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys here at Living Waters. My name's Josh. I'm the preaching pastor here. So thankful that you uh, could join us this morning for worship. So, before we pray, the author of Hebrews has been arguing that Jesus is greater, he's better. Than angels for the first two chapters. Now we're transitioning into Moses. Okay, so we are uh, looking at the reality that the author of Hebrews is saying Jesus is greater than Moses. So he's cranking up his argument. And uh, as much as we've really enjoyed the first two chapters, I think you're going to really enjoy this next section in Hebrews chapter 3. So as we dig into God's Word, let's pray together. And then we'll, uh, we'll see what God has for us. Father, thank you for your, the reading and the hearing of your word. God, it's awesome. It's awesome to see Jesus high and lifted up. To see Jesus as the, the one that we need. God, you're so good. You're so good to show us Jesus. There's nobody else we need, Lord, in our lives today more than we need Jesus. There's no thing that we need this morning more than Jesus. And Jesus, to know that you love us, you care about us, you care about every person in this gym, Lord, it brings joy to our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray for every person that doesn't know you yet, has not surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray that you would save them today. And God, I pray for every person who does know you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior, that they might find you to be exactly who they've been looking for. Jesus, satisfy our hearts with all that you are. Meet with us in a very special way, we pray in your name. Amen. So when I was in seventh grade, seventh grade, we moved from a 900 square feet house to a 2,600 square feet house. I went from sharing this little square bedroom with three of my brothers to having my own room. And all God's people said, Amen. Right? I thought we moved into a mansion, 900 square feet to 2,600. I had my own room, we had a living room, we had a basement, I had a Nintendo 64. Man, I gazed at that stupid television for 10,000 hours a day, it seemed like. But man, I thought we hit the jackpot. I thought we were crazy rich, 2,600 square feet. I loved our new house, the kitchen, all the rooms, you know. I gazed at our house, and you know what? It became an idol. It became an idol to me became an idol for our family because we began to gaze at not Jesus or each other. We just began to gaze at all the extra room we had. Now, I'm not against building new houses or having new houses or having 2,600 square feet houses. If that's your house, I'm not here to offend you. I'm here to simply tell you that when we moved, I remember it began a dive, a five-year dive dive of our family into materialism where we began to look and gaze our eyes on stuff and it wrecked our family we were tattered torn and running away from God five years later and by the grace of God by the grace of his might Jesus saved my wicked heart praise God And he saved all my brothers and he revived my parents. And we realized a very real lesson. That houses and bricks and mortar, no matter what size of square footage you have, doesn't make a home. Can I get a witness? Houses are only as good as the people inside them. It's not about concrete and two-by-fours. It's about the souls of the people who live within the structure. Bricks and mortar don't make a home. People make a home. And our greatest connections in life, they don't happen by ooing and aahing over house designs. Our greatest connections in life happen when people get together with other people, and they hold hands, and they pray together, and they love one another. Amen? And that can happen in an apartment building, and that can happen in the biggest mansion you've ever seen in your life. Where love is, that's where God is. Amen? People are the house of God. And so it goes with the family people in the family when families are connected person to person it's eternal life it's great you can be poor as poor can be you can be rich as rich can be but if you're connected it's eternal life and so it goes with the church the church is not a bunch of bricks and mortar that's a good word for our church amen as we're raising 1.2 million dollars to do what To buy bricks and mortar. That's hilarious. It's almost like God knows exactly the timing that we need. Amen? It's not about bricks and mortar. Fairway's not going to change your life. That grocery store is not the house of God. We are the house of God. Amen? That's the message of Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. We are the house of God. And if we have Jesus inside of us as believers, we are the house of God. No building ever is going to change that. Praise the Lord. That's the message of Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, that that believers who believe in Christ are the house of God. And, And the author of Hebrews is commanding the reader... To look at two things. Number one, gaze at Jesus. You're supposed to look at Jesus. See it with me in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. The apostle and high priest of our confession. The verb consider there, it means uh, to gaze upon. It means to observe, to stare at. So basically the idea is, is the author of Hebrews is telling the believers, hey, stare at Jesus, gaze at Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, whatever you gaze at, whatever you look at, that's what you worship, do you know that? Ouch. What are you looking at this week? What are you gazing at this week? What are you staring at this week? All right, husbands, husbands. I hope Valentine's Day was filled with you gazing at your bride. Amen? And if it didn't happen, make it happen. Love your wife. Whatever we gaze at, that's what we love. That's what we worship. And the author of Hebrews is saying, gaze at Jesus. That's the command. Look at Jesus. And he's also saying, hold fast to Jesus. Look at verse 6. It says, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Okay, The word hold fast there means to keep secure or to keep a firm possession of. There's a lot of applications for this word, but basically the author of Hebrews is saying, hold on to Jesus. Grip him tightly. If you're a sports fan, it's, it's hold on to the ball. In football, it's telling your running back to hold on to the ball don't fumble it hold on to it right my friend Nathan he had a a son he has a son who's 15 years old but 14 years ago famous story of his son Jackson they're walking down into a pool at a hotel they walk down into the pool and Jackson is one year old scared to death of water so, what, what happens, all you dads who have done this before? What happens? Nathan goes down into the water, and Jackson, his one year old boy, grips onto Daddy, right? And he grips onto him so tightly that he's starting to scratch, and they're, they're starting to get marks and potential blood. Blood in the pool is not good, especially in a public pool in a hotel. Amen? Amen. That's the idea, though grip on to Christ. Hold on to him tight. Now, that's the commands for us this morning. We are to look at Jesus, gaze upon him, and hold on tightly to him. Why? Why should you do that, believer? There's so many other things to look at in life. There's so many other things to grab onto. Why should you hold on to King Jesus? Well, I'm going to give you two reasons why. Two reasons why you should look upon Jesus and grab a hold of him tightly. And we're going to see this in Hebrews 3. First reason, you should hold on to Jesus and focus on him because he's glorious in God's house. Jesus is glorious in God's house. You can see this in verse 3 and 4. But Jesus was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So the author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is to be counted as worthy of more glory. More glory than who? Moses. Moses. Jesus is supposed to get more glory than Moses. You may not think that's a big deal in 2020. Trust me. The Jewish audience who is reading this, that's a big deal. Because if there is a hall of fame for famous Israelites, Moses is at the top of the list. Moses is the greatest Israelite in the history of the nation of Israel. Nobody's looked up too higher than Moses. Nobody has been more faithful than Moses. And basically what the author of Hebrews is saying is he's saying, Moses is here, Jesus is better than Moses. Moses. Okay, now, Moses, how do we know he was the greatest? Well, there's a few passages of scripture. Number one, Numbers chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. Numbers 12, 7 and 8. God tells Miriam and the other people that are inciting rebellion against Moses. God says, nobody's greater than Moses. I love Moses more than I love anybody else. I know Moses face to face. He's my guy. Right. Susie read that in Deuteronomy 34 as well. And um, you know, nobody was more humble than Moses. Moses, according to M- Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, was considered the most humble man in the world. It says it. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Moses was the most humble man in the world. Ironic and funny point about Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Do you know who wrote Numbers? <laughs> Moses did. Awkward, right? Like, like, who's the most humble man in the world, Moses? Well, I guess I am. <laughs> All right, so, so Moses is an amazing guy, and Jesus is considered to be worthy of more glory, more attention, more esteem than Moses. Jesus' humility was greater than even Moses. How do I know that? Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, uh, Jesus' humility was so great that it carried him to the cross. And on that cross, our God-man, our Savior, Jesus, died on the cross for our sins. Aren't you glad about that? Jesus died for our sins in our place. And because of that... He was resurrected three days later, and he was given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is better than Moses. Praise God. How much better? As much as the designer of a house is better than the house. Okay, that's what he says in verse 3 and 4. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So Jesus is worth more glory than Moses, as much as a house designer is more glorious than the house he builds. Now, who gets more credit, the house designer or the house? The designer, right? So we have a lot of guys that are in the trades. There are a lot of builders at our church. There's a lot of companies represented within our church that build houses. And so, uh, you know, if I went to one of our builders at church, and, and I went to the house that he helped build, okay? Wouldn't it be hilarious if I took more joy in the house than I did him? It would be, right? Like, if I'm walking around a house with a builder, brand new house, and I'm looking at this house and and i'm saying hey hey person you know like nice job over here nice job over here and then and then we walk into the living room and i'm like whoa dude look at this banister it's so amazing yeah i built that yeah be quiet this is awesome and then we go to the the bathroom the most important room in any house amen Important things are going to happen in this room. We need to know that it's well constructed. So, if I'm walking in the builder, it's this beautiful design bathroom, and and it took a lot of work for the builder to do it, and I said, Be quiet, you. And I go up to the toilet, and I flush the toilet. And I stand in awe of it, and I say, Oh, this toilet flushes. Praise God. Yeah, dude, I designed this whole thing. Yeah, I don't care. Look at the toilet. Brings no honor to the designer. Who gets more credit? The designer does. This is a beautiful house you've designed and built. Great job. It would be ridiculous for me to take joy in the house. Because the house is material. It can't talk. It's made of wood. It's made of cement. It's made of all the finishing stuff. But the designer. He's worthy of glory. Jesus is worthy for you to hold on to and focus on this morning because he is the designer of the house of God. The house of God is you and me. Jesus is in control of our church. Can I get a witness? Jesus is in control of your life. Jesus is the author and he is the architect of your salvation. If you don't believe me, read Ephesians chapter 1 and read Colossians 1. You will see Jesus as the glorious son of God, the creator of all things, and he is the architect of your salvation. If you know Christ this morning, you should focus on him, hold on to him because he's glorious in his house. Did you know, Living Waters, this morning, this is Jesus house? Did you know that? It's not about you. I'm sorry to tell you that. It's not about you. It's not about me either. It's about Jesus. We came here this morning for Jesus. And I hope you're okay with that, right? I hope you're all right with that. In fact, I'm not only hoping you're okay with that, I'm hoping you're excited about that. He's glorious in his house, and we are his house. Praise God. Reason number two for why we should focus and hold on to Jesus is not only because he's Glorious in God's house, but he's faithful over God's house. He's faithful. and you can see this in verse four and, or verse five and six. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were spoken of later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So you see Jesus and Moses, both being identified as faithful. The word faithful there means worthy of trust. Someone who can be relied upon. Are you faithful? Are you faithful? The answer is no, not all the time. You're not, you're not. Sometimes we're faithful, right? Sometimes we're worthy of trust. Sometimes we can be relied upon. But other times we are broken sinners who cannot be relied upon. Moses was faithful. He was faithful as a servant over God's house. So was Jesus. So Moses, let's just talk about him just for a few moments. Moses was faithful in the Old Testament, giving spiritual, practical, and societal help to the nation of Israel. Moses was a spiritual beast and a phenomenal leader. He was awesome. Moses oversaw over one million people. Think about that. He gave spiritual help practical and societal leadership to a a nation of over a million people I struggle to give spiritual and 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 practical guidance to 300 plus people I I struggle with that okay like I, I I'm like I can't even imagine a million people I can't imagine it I couldn't do it I would lose my mind Because it's so hard, right? And then forget societal and practical help. If you talk to me about construction and practical things, I will look at you with like a, like a, the saucers, eyes as big as saucers. And I'll be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I'm no help. You give me a hammer around a house, I am zero help. I will, like, break stuff at your house, (laughs) right? I'm not going to be faithful in that. Imagine how much energy you give to being a a leader in in your family or in your relationships. How stressful is that? Just within your family, your nuclear family. Oh, hey, dude, I got another preacher coming on stage. Can you handle him, Craig? Thank you. Okay. All right. I mean, I'm ready to share the pulpit, just not quite yet with him. Not quite yet. Okay. But you look at Moses, and we stand in awe of Moses. He's faithful as a leader. He was faithful as a servant of God's house. He was the person who led Israel faithfully for so many years. And by the way, just a little exhortation in the middle of looking at Moses. Moses was faithful as a servant over God's people. I can't tell you enough how important faithfulness is. Faithfulness is always valued over giftedness. Always. You, are you really gifted at something? Great. I don't really care. I want to know, are you faithful? Because those who are faithful with little will be, will be given a lot more. If you're not faithful with little, you won't be given more. That's just how the kingdom of God works. And 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says that the, it's, it's required of a steward to be found faithful. Jesus doesn't care about your gifts. He cares about your faithfulness. And if you've messed up being faithful, hey, join the party. Join the party. Repent, confess, get right, move forward. Amen? Amen. Embrace the grace of God in your life. Admit that you haven't been faithful. Come back and value that more. But come back to Jesus. He's ready to embrace you if you confess. Right? It's awesome. So as great of a servant as Moses was, Jesus is faithful over God's house as a son. Do you see that? Verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Jesus has been, is, and will be perfectly faithful as the overseer of God's house, as the son of God. Jesus has all power and all authority over his house. Basically, what this means is that Jesus has the ability to make huge change happen all over the world because he is a faithful son. He's got power, he has authority, he has all spiritual riches, and he's willing to use those things to make massive change happen. What do I mean? How many people have gotten saved today all over the world? How many? Thousands, right? Thousands of people have gotten saved. Why? Because Jesus is the faithful son over the house of god and the house of god is living waters fellowship and beyond living waters fellowship Papua new guinea you guys know where that is it's north of australia i texted one of my pastor friends last night i'm like hey bro praying for you excited for the word he pastors in michigan And I'm like, hey, preach the word, man. Do it, do it. I get a text back five minutes later, and he's like, bro, I've already preached twice. I'm in Papua New Guinea. Jesus juke, right? Like, (laughs) didn't see that one coming. And I'm like, dude, you're in Papua New Guinea? Are you serious? And he's like, yeah, a guy came to Christ just this morning. I'm like, this morning, it's 11 at night in Iowa. You guys, Jesus is big. He's real big. He's a global savior. He's saving people all over the world right now, with or without your permission, and he is faithful over his house. Jesus is saving people, man. He is changing people's lives through his grace, and he's doing it all over in the big, huge stuff. But he's also faithful as a son In the small things. Jesus is faithful in the small things. Not just the big things, right? We get excited about big things. Big things. Big events. Big stuff. Big change in my life. Yes, that's good. But Jesus cares about the small person. The small changes. How do I know that? Isaiah 42, verse 3. Jesus says, A broken reed Jesus will not break. And a smoldering wick he won't put out. Can I just talk about that for one moment? If you're a smoldering wick, you ever felt like that before in life? Where you are a candle and you're barely burning. You, you got a little bit of wax at the bottom of the candle left. That's how my candle is right now in my office at the well. It's just got a little bit left. That smoldering wick Jesus is the Savior who won't put it out. You're barely hanging on in life. You're barely finding your way into church this morning. You're barely hanging on with the stuff going on. Jesus won't put you out. Amen? Man, that's so good. And a bruised reed, he won't break. Are you a stick with a bruise and you got a weak spot on you? And And the stick that is here, Jesus looks at the stick and he sees the weak part. He won't break you. He'll take care of you. Jesus, in his life and ministry, he took time to minister to women and children, the crippled and the lame and the seekers and the lost and the brokenhearted. Jesus exists today as the risen Son of Man in heaven. And you know who Jesus' targets are on the earth? You know who he's saving? You know he's, who he's changing? He's changing Um, The lives of women, children, crippled, lame, seekers, lost, and brokenhearted people today, isn't he? That's who he is. And church, if you say that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your eyes need to be not just on the big things. Your eyes need to be on the down and outers, the people that need a conversation and need the love of Christ. And nobody's spending time with them. You need to find them and spend time with them. We are believers on a mission because our God is faithful over his house. And he cares not just about the big things, he cares about the small things. Church, I'm not asking you to go on a missions trip. I'm asking you to take two extra minutes with the person who checks you out at the grocery store to say, how are you? I'm asking you not to evangelize the world. I'm asking you to consider the neighbor across the street that needs a conversation. I'm not asking you to change everything. I'm asking you to go and see who is hurting that you can reach and talk to. People meet Jesus one conversation at a time because believers who have God in them, the Holy Spirit of God in them, take the time to reach out to at least one person to see if you can make some small difference. All of those little things that you choose to do and I choose to do this week will equal out to the a, a large-scale spiritual awakening that we desperately want in our culture. But it happens one conversation at a time. Jesus is faithful over his house. So let's, let's bring it into our church here. Is Jesus more concerned about 1.2 million dollars than he is the 1.2 million worries that you have going on in your heart? I would argue Jesus is more concerned about your heart than he is about a building. I would argue Jesus is more concerned with the life change that happens. Let's see what time I got here. Okay, zip this up. Just the other day, and I didn't share this in first service. This is unique. Just the other night, the Lincoln basketball team won the CIML Metro Conference Championship. I don't know if you knew that. The coach, Justin Einerson, is right back here. Let's give him a round of applause. (laughs) Awesome. They haven't won a conference title since 2008. I got to be there in the gym that night at North High School. The win was cool. It was awesome. What did I value more than that? The conversation I had at halftime with a young man named Will that I've been sharing Jesus with for a few years now, I value that. I value the hug with Justin and Britt after the game because of what Christ has done in their lives, saving them, transforming their lives. I value the hugs with those players that I got to experience to see God Who's working in their hearts. Church, I just want you to just, just know. It's not the big moments. That God values the most. It's often the small moments. It's not the on stage preaching sermon. It is the conversation that God uses to get Jesus into people's hearts. One conversation at a time. One person at a time. Jesus is faithful over his house. Church, he loves you intimately, personally. He's more concerned about you and you knowing him and passing that along than he is anything else. So, as we close, my friend Nathan was holding his kid... Jackson, in the pool. Jackson's clawing at his dad, holding tight, drawing blood, really tight grip. And Nathan told me the story this way. He said, you know, the interesting part about holding my son during that moment was his grip on me was great, beautiful, and awesome, and I loved it. He said, but my son was one year old. He didn't understand How strong my grip was on him. He said, as tight as Jackson was holding on to me. He said, I was holding on to him. And I wasn't about ready to let my son go. So as we talk about gazing on Jesus Christ. And holding on to Jesus. Jesus. And as we look at him, he's glorious in his house, and he's faithful over his house, and we need to grab on to him. My prayer for you this morning is that you would see the greater reality. As you grip tight to Jesus, draw blood, maybe, I don't know. I hope you begin to realize how tightly Jesus is holding on to you. He's not going to let you go. And in all of your gazing and all of your gripping, Jesus has got you. And church, is there greater news that we need to hear in all the world this morning than the reality that we have a great Jesus who's holding on to us? Amen? As we abide in him, he abides in us. John 8. And so as you consider the glorious God-man... He's glorious in his house, he's faithful over his house, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in your house, the house of your heart this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your amazing love. Lord, as we look at Hebrews 3, we are just absolutely struck by the twin realities that we need to gaze on you, Jesus. We need to hold on to you, Lord. And the fact that you're holding on to us. Jesus, there is no question in my mind that there are hurting hearts in this gym this morning. People who need to feel your loving hands around them, Lord. And I pray that Lord, we would be a church that would be seeing you as glorious in your house and that we would just grip onto you and we would love you, Lord, and that you would return the favor. And Lord, you're faithful, faithful over the big things, faithful over the small things. Lord, help us to know that deep in our hearts, you know everything that's going on. And you are here to meet us in this small moment, in this quiet moment. You're here to embrace us, and God, help us to love you. Lord, we need you. Jesus, we focus our eyes on you right now. We grip to you, Lord. God, I pray that you would save anyone who's lost. And Lord, that you would restore the believer, and raise the joy and the confidence of the believer to see that you're glorious and you got this. Help us respond with song, help us respond with confession, help us respond with joy, help us respond with words to you, and maybe even just tears coming down our eyes. Lord, may we just respond to you, Jesus, and feel your loving embrace, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand up.